The other one, because I've thought a lot about this today, Elliot. <laughs> I can tell. I would. I would. Dom, want- you've got to stop sending Jeff the questions so early, because <laughs> because this part of the pod takes longer than the rest of the pod. Once again, here we go with 32 Thoughts, brought to you by the new 2024 GMC Sierra HD. Elliot and I have a lot of things to go over, but maybe the biggest news that greets us this Monday morning when you're probably listening to this is the news that Connor McDavid will not be playing in the Heritage Classic. Elliot's, he's out one to two weeks with an upper body injury. That's not the only story with the Edmonton Oilers, but right now that is the big one. Connor McDavid out for one to two weeks. Well, first of all, Jeff, let's not ruin the Heritage Classic yet. One to two weeks, he could potentially play. I'm like that guy on the broadcast. It's (laughs) 54-0 at halftime and talk about how the team that's losing is famous for their comebacks. So the viewers yes. don't turn out. Yeah, it, it doesn't look good. Like I always say, he's he's off to Lourdes this week to bathe in holy water and come back a brand new, healthy, elite level hockey player. Yeah, it, it doesn't look good, Jeff. There's, there's no question about <laughs> it. If you read lips, and I did it once earlier in my career that caused me a lot of trouble. If you saw what McDavid was saying on the bench, there were people thinking, oh, he's saying he tore something or, or something like that. Look, you're going to be careful with Connor McDavid now. As much as the Heritage Classic is a really good event for the Flames and the Oilers, and I'm very excited to go there this week, you're not going to risk Connor McDavid for an outdoor game where the conditions are not as controlled as you would get in an indoor environment. I'm hoping somehow yeah. he plays, but I'm, I'm not expecting it to occur. It wasn't only that he left the game, but... The thing that all of a sudden, you know, people started texting during the overtime saying, is he not playing the overtime? I was saying no. And they said, that's when you know it's bad. Because if Connor McDavid is not playing an overtime, a three on three, then you know it's bad. Uh, They lose to the Winnipeg Jets 3-2 in overtime. Mark Shifley with the OT heroics there. But again, that's not the only story going around uh, as it relates to the Edmonton Oilers. Evander Kane in a second intermission interview with Scott Oak intimating that, well, I'm not too thrilled how things are going. So me and Brendan Dillon decided to take our helmets off and fight for a little while. Uh, Yeah, I didn't uh, didn't play much in the reverse period. So I thought uh, might as well get into a fight and... uh, Take seven or eight minutes in the box. And also, Leon Dreisaitl, who once a year kind of has a bit of a dig at one of the questions he's asked, he had it in the post game when he was asked about Stuart Skinner and the one play where he hesitated going after the puck and the Jets took advantage. Like Everything that happened to Edmonton on Saturday night was not good. For the second weekend in a row, they looked like they were going to blow out whoever they were playing. Vancouver, yep. a week ago, the first shift, they had five shots and a goal. You thought they were going to win 10 nothing. They lost. And here in this one, they were up 2 nothing. Hellebuck stabilized the Jets, and the Oilers lose again. Faster than we thought it was going to happen, things are getting tense in northern Alberta. And this is where we're really going to find out who the Oilers are and what they're really made of. Because McDavid's not going on LTIR, right now they have him just on regular injured reserve, they can only carry the minimum. They've got no cap relief. So the group of players that they've got there right now, 
Those are the guys that are going to have to get them through this and get them started. And mm-hmm. I, I'm serious, Jeff, when I say we've all talked about the Oilers as a Stanley Cup favorite. We're going to find out just how good they are over the next one to two weeks. They play Minnesota Tuesday, the Rangers on Thursday, as you mentioned, the Heritage Classic against the Calgary Flames on Sunday. Um, let me circle back quickly to the Evander Kane situation. <sighs> How do you see that one, Elliot? You can obviously he wasn't thrilled about his ice time, where he's being used, how he's being used. So him and his former, you know, teammate from San Jose decided to go for one. Uh, and we just, you know, heard the comments a couple of seconds ago with Scott Oak. How do you read the Evander Kane situation? Obviously, he's unhappy. He said it kind of in. It was funny the way he said it. We were sitting there watching it and we all kind of looked at each other and said, did he just say what we think he said? It didn't, it almost didn't come across overly pointedly. It didn't come across as a dig. It came across as more matter of fact. Well, I'm not really playing a lot, so I figured I might as well do something else. And BX had told a story about how he did that in a game once too. He wasn't playing a lot, so he got into a fight because he figured he would engage himself in some way. If I was Woodcroft, what I would say to Kane right now is, okay, you're not happy. You made that clear. Well, we need you right now. We need you to get us through the mire of the next two weeks without Connor McDavid. So you let me know what you need and I will do it. I will put you in that position. If I was Woodcroft, I would say, okay, Evander, you don't like it. What do you want? And now it's on you to show me, can you get us through it? And as a player, I would want that. I would want my coach to say to me, I need you to get us through this. And I would want him to challenge me so that I knew the team thought it was incumbent on me to get them through this. So what do we have here then with the Oilers? Is this a a raging volcano or is this a controlled fire? What is this? I don't think it's a volcano, but it could become one. Like we just said, we're about to find out what this team is. When you're the Edmonton Oilers, one of the things you can do when you're in trouble, oh, number 97, get on the ice. Oh, number 97, just give me a (laughs) three-foot pass in the defensive zone so I can get it to you and you can skate the puck all the way out of trouble. That's over now. You don't have In case that. of emergency, break glass. In case of emergency, break glass, <laughs> and out comes number 97. That's over now. Yeah. You don't have any of that. You can't throw him over the bench every third shift. You can't have him playing three to three and a half minutes of overtime. Um, you don't have the one-man breakout. Now, you still have dry sidle, mm-hmm. and that's pretty good. And you have some other good players too, but they're going to have to find other ways to win games now. I remember in 2001 when Colorado won the Stanley Cup without Peter Forsberg. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And now they had a hell of a team. They had Joe Sackick. They had Rob Blake. They had Alex Tangay playing the games of his life at that time. Who's the goalie again? They had Patrick Waugh. Yes, that's oh, yeah, that's right. a pretty he's big, big one. Uh, they had Adam Foote. They had Ray Bork. You know, they had a hell of a team. 
but they still they also beat a really good team, the New Jersey Devils, in seven games to win the Stanley Cup. So you can do this without a key player, but they're going to have to change the way they play. You know, the one thing that has really shown from Edmonton in these first two weeks of the season is the details have been sorely lacking. And I thought against Philly last Thursday, they really showed their frustration. I did not like the way that they looked in that game. And so now you've had leads in games and you've blown them. You're going to have to adjust. You're going to have to say, how do we win without McDavid? And everyone's going to be sitting here watching. You want to talk about Vegas? Vegas is 6-0. First Stanley Cup champion ever to do that. You want to talk about Colorado, Jeff? That's the other big Stanley Cup favorite in the Western Conference. They tore yeah. apart a Carolina team that's that's struggling a little bit right now, giving up goals, but still is one of the best teams in the league. Edmonton's big contenders or big adversaries in the Western Conference, the last two Stanley Cup champions, they're coming out red hot and they are clobbering people. And now the Oilers mm-hmm. are without their number one guy and it's a test. Everyone's going to be watching them to see how they handle this. Let me ask you about these two teams you just mentioned, because you're right. Like Colorado just picked apart the Carolina Hurricanes. They've been going through everybody lately. They've just been, since the start of the season, just they're a hockey lawnmower, man. Like they're mowing teams down and you're get, they're getting production from up and down the lineup. Now everybody's starting to learn the name Logan O'Connor, uh, who scores shorthanded goals and will fight, will do just about anything to help this team win. Um, Nathan McKinnon is Nathan McKinnon. Good Lord. Um, he was my heart trophy pick this year and nothing that's happened so far has said to me that that was a bad pick. You want to maybe go from 29 to 96 on Colorado and look at Miko Ranton and Elliot Friedman. He's playing really good too. Yeah. Oh, he, he's fantastic. But <laughs> let me ask you a question. What's that? If there was a draft of players off of Colorado, what do you think the order would be? Kale McCarr, number one. Okay. Nathan McKinnon, number two. Mm-hmm. Miko Rantanen, number three. See, I think that's the problem with Rantanen winning the Hart Trophy, right? I know. I get it. I think he'd be an excellent vote. Whenever McKinnon goes out, who's the guy? I mean, he's always the guy, but he could slide in the middle. He could play on the right side. He's he's Mr. Versatility, and not only can he do it, but he's, he's like, excellent at it. Like, whatever you want him to do, he's like, okay, coach, watch me go be the best in the world at this. He's just tremendous. Just tremendous. He's a phenomenal player. Excellent, outstanding player. But it's tough to pick a guy for the hard trophy when, by your own admission, he's the third guy you're picking off the team in a draft of the roster. Although right now, you'd have to put Alexander Georgiev into that mix too. He's been fantastic. He's been excellent, but I still think you'd take all those three guys (laughs) over Georgiev. Of course you do. I'm just trying to make talk radio here for you. Um, let me ask you about Vegas. Yeah, I want to talk at some point in this podcast, hopefully we can get there, about the nature of defending in the NHL right now. For my money, there's no team that does it better than the Vegas Golden Knights. That's pretty obvious. Merrick, well done. Petrangelo's out and it's insert player here. As much as there's a premium in the NHL right now on offense, 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 Vegas goes out there, sure they can fill the net, sure they can score, but man, do they ever defend well. 
this is a really humming machine right now. It's it's remarkable. It's the the big tall glass of coconut water before you go to bed because there is no hangover in the morning. Uh, a quick thought on Vegas before I want to I want to get the Calgary here in a second. Quick thought on Vegas for each. We talked about them last week. They just look fantastic. Their best players are playing great. Their goaltending, their goaltenders don't have to be outstanding. Although Thompson made an unbelievable save in Winnipeg the other day, their goaltenders just have to be really good, and they have been. And I'm looking at it right now. What happens? Mr. Merrick. Yes. On November 4th. Is it a meeting of Colorado and Vegas? Vegas at home against Colorado T-Mobile Arena, November 4th. I Mm. cannot wait for that game. We are two weeks away and we get that matchup. Yep. I love it. That's one of those games where you don't watch anything else. That's going to be like a battle of unbeatens in the NFL in week 10. That's what that's going to be. Let's see where they're both at when we get there. But this is uh, this has been incredible from both these uh, both these teams in the West, distinguishing themselves as the two best teams in the NHL. I know Detroit. Don't worry, we're going to get to you in a couple of moments. Calm down. We're going to get there. Settle, settle, settle. The last thing I just want to say about Edmonton. Okay. I think right now when it comes to the Oilers. If you're Jay Woodcroft, I'm walking in there on Monday morning and I said, guys, everything that happened the last two, three weeks, two weeks, I don't even I can't even remember when we started the season. Everything that happened the last two weeks, <laughs> two weeks, we're flushing it down the toilet. It's over. We're starting again. The season begins anew, but we're gonna play the way we were supposed to. And we're going to have to play that way now because we don't have Connor McDavid. Like I said, unless they want to change around their roster a bit, they can't add an extra body. So they can look mm-hmm. at everybody and say, hey, everybody who's here, you're playing. Everybody's going to have to be dressed every night. Everybody's going to get shifts and we need you all. And we haven't played the way we're supposed to play forget it we're restarting and we're doing that the way we thought we were going to start the year we're doing it now and we have to because we don't have one of our nuclear weapons so we better that's what i'm saying to these guys calgary flames their opponent sunday at the heritage classic a couple of things here i want to get to your report about noah hannafin from uh, saturday headlines yep but first, the appeal of the suspension. Rasmus Anderson Friday catches Patrick Line high. It's a four-game suspension. They are appealing. Now, one game has already ticked off after Calgary loses to the Detroit Red Wings. Again, Red Wings fans, we're getting there. Hold on. I know you feel like you're getting the short end of the stick here, but don't worry. We're getting to the Detroit Red Wings. They've been excellent. What a weekend they had. One game has ticked off for the Calgary Flames. There are, before the Heritage Classic, two more games. There's a game Tuesday against the Rangers. There's a game Thursday against the St. Louis Blues. Game four of the suspension would be Sunday. They want to get it down, Elliot, I'm guessing, to three games so he's available for the Heritage Classic? Yes. What I think is going on here is Anderson has never been suspended before. He's been fined once. But he's never been suspended before. 
I think it's important to say this first. Number one, I don't think anyone liked that hit. Bad hit. It was a bad hit. Now, there's the argument, and some of the people who have argued in favor of Anderson say that, you know, sometimes if the other player moves before you hit, that can mitigate your penalty, and Line's body does move. But the one thing I always feel generally, Jeff, is it's the Jamal Mayer's rule. One, do you get half the body? I like that. And number two, are you trying to really make a hockey play? There's one second left in the game. The game is over. Anderson leaves his feet and Line gets hurt. Like, I don't like any of that. I don't think any of that favors Anderson at all. I think what the Flames and the Players Association feel here, and it's the Players Association that has to launch the appeal on behalf of the player, is that number one, there was no, there hasn't been a suspension of at least four games prior to this since April of 2022 when Evgeny Malkin got mm-hmm. it, and also they do feel that it's a a big punishment to take him out of the Heritage Classic. You know, we were joking before about how if you're the Oilers, you don't want McDavid to play in this game now. It's it's not a controlled environment, and there's a lot of risk that can open up. Everybody still remembers Sidney Crosby getting injured in the Winter Classic. But make no mistake, it's fun for the players. It breaks up the monotony of the year. A lot of them really do enjoy it. And judging from the reaction I heard, Anderson was one of those guys. He was looking to play it. So they're going to argue that I think that it's a three-gamer instead of a four-gamer. The big challenge here is because it's under six games, there's no independent arbitrator. So it only goes to Batman. And in many of the cases when suspensions have been dropped – it's because the arbitrator drops the suspension, not so much Batman. So I, I think it's a long shot. I think everybody realizes it's a long shot. But because I think the player wants to play in the Winter Classic, uh, they're going to take the challenge. Now, to me, the big question here is Line's injury. We've already seen him miss one game. And if he continues missing games, look, like, like I said, that's not a hit that should happen. He deserved a suspension. I don't think anyone's going to argue that. Line's injury here to me is is the really big tell. If, if he continues to miss games, I just yeah. don't know how they're going to be able to shorten that. I think it's a long shot as well. I have a, I have a hard time seeing Gary Bettman go against George Peros on this one go against his Department of Player Safety at all. It's a public admission that they didn't do their job correctly. I can't see the commissioner doing it. I can't, Elliot. Like I said, it's not his way. There's there's no question about that. You're right. It's almost a vote of no... Well, never mind almost. It, it kind of is a vote of no confidence in the people that you have helped pick run your department. I don't disagree with you. Uh, also with the Calgary Flames, you report Saturday about Noah Hannafin and some movement with a new contract. Yes. And since I put it out there, I've heard a bit more. I think it's more now than some movement. Uh, judging from the reaction I got after that aired, I think it would be a surprise if it didn't happen. Now, I don't know the exact timeline, but 
I'm always careful, as you know, about language because then it turns into something viral that I didn't intend it to mean. I, like I've had people say optimism. I've had people say progress. I had one guy say to me today that there was a breakthrough <laughs> uh, and it's going to get done. But put it this way, I think the best way to put it is it's going to be a surprise if it doesn't happen. And we should say that this is a big, big victory for the Flames because Hannafin... You'll remember when there was all that talk about all the guys that wouldn't stay. Well, they've got Backlund signed. And now now Hannafin was the one guy in the summer. And I reported on this pod that Hannafin had indicated he wanted to go back to the United States. And no one argued with me. No one. Normally, if I have something wrong on the pod, I'll get at least one phone call about it. Something like that. Someone will call me and say, you are wrong. Fix this. And not a single person did because at the time, that was what was conveyed. Now, you know, ultimately, Hannafin at some point in time will give us a better indication of what changed his mind. Number one, I think it's time. Um, you know, obviously, he's seen things in Calgary that he likes. I do think, Jeff, as you and I have talked about, there are players who are nervous out there. The way the cap has gone the last couple of years, the market's been very tight. I think there are players who say that if the money's there and you're happy in your situation, it's much harder now, until the cap really starts going up a couple times, it's harder now to say no. And uh, ultimately, I don't want to put words in Hannafin's mouth. He'll tell us. But like I said, it would be a surprise by now if it doesn't happen. So two things there. One, I thought it was going to be Buffalo. I thought that was going to be the landing spot for Noah Hannafin. And two... And you've already sort of indicated this, and so maybe I'm asking a rhetorical question here, but is this Michael Backlund effect? I think it is to some degree. Those players really like Backlund. We've talked about how, yeah. you know, for a lot of reasons, he was the captain last year, even if he didn't have it in name only. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll say this. There's all this talk about American players wanting to stay in Canada. This would be another big one. You've got... JT Miller, Connor Hellebuck, Hannafin would be another, Austin Matthews, Cole Caulfield, you know, depending on how much longer you want to put the timeline on this, Brady Kachuk and Josh Norris. We all talk about, you know, who wants to stay here, but Hannafin would be a big one for Calgary as they continue to try to keep some of their players. Now, like I said, I think they've talked to Tanev. Um, it could always change. I, I heard it hadn't progressed as much as, as Hannafin's was, and there's still Lindholm here. And it's it's an interesting time for Calgary. They didn't have a great road trip. They probably deserved a better fate in Washington, but they didn't have a great trip. And it's always, I remember a few years ago, I think it was Cliff Fletcher who told me once, there's this conversation you have about signing players when things aren't going great. But I think at the end of the day, you always look at the big picture. And Hannafin's still a pretty young guy. That trade has turned out good for him and good for them. And, uh, you know, he's he's a really good player. And he's on their top pair. So I'm not surprised they're prioritizing him. 
Okay, let's get to the Detroit Red Wings. And what a weekend it was for the Wings. Saturday against the Ottawa Senators, 5-2. to two. And a brief video welcome back for Alex Brinkett, where he was soundly booed uh, by pretty much every Ottawa Senators fan in attendance. And then we saw Brady Kachuk going at him, and this is going to be a feud for a long, long time. And it's beautiful. I didn't like the Ridley Gregg penalty, I, I have to say. I, I didn't think that was a penalty. That was the only thing about that game I I didn't like. Yeah, I was fine with that hit. Yeah. I was fine with all of that. But Debrink is going to get that every time he goes to Ottawa. Every time he plays Ottawa, Alex Debrinkit is going to get that. And Sunday, it's a 6-2 drubbing of the Calgary Flames when the aforementioned Alex Debrinkit Scores three goals. Cat with the hat, as they say. Alex Debrinkit, hat trick against the Calgary Flames. And we're looking at Dylan Larkin and where he's at with the scoring race. We're looking at Comfort and Rasmussen as being an excellent second line. And we're looking at a, at a Detroit Red Wings blue line. Now, I was at the Marley's Checkers game today and talking to one person who said, you know, we were talking about the Detroit Red Wings. And I said, well, what do you see? And he said, I see a team that can defend. He said, as everybody wants, as every defenseman in the NHL is just trying to get cookies, trying to get cookies, trying to get cookies. I see a team that can defend well in their own zone. Do they give up a lot off the rush? Yeah, they do. But in their own zone, they defend mm -hmm. and they defend well. And there's no one out there just looking for points and trying to chisel points. And I got to get a point and I got to get a point. That's a team that defends. What we're seeing so far from Detroit, Elliot, really, really impressive. They look really good. And I have to say this too. There aren't a lot of people upset with the idea of Detroit turning into a bit of a powerhouse at a time when there's a little bit of uncertainty about the economy. It's a good thing. They've moved into this beautiful arena that hasn't seen a good hockey team yet. Passionate fan base loves the sport. If Detroit is going in that building for the first time, it's a mm -hmm. perfect time for the National Hockey League and the Red Wings. A few things about this. Number one, it shows how uncomfortable last year was for Dabrinkit. He just wasn't himself in Ottawa. For whatever yeah. reason, he wasn't comfortable, and now he is. It, it's, it's hard not to notice how seamless the adjustment has been in Detroit as compared to Ottawa a year ago. So that's number one. And number two, you know who Detroit reminds me of, Jeff? Who that? The Kings. In what sense? The Kings drafted. They stockpiled prospects. The prospects didn't really hit it out of the park. They went for veterans. And now, look, they're starting to go. Detroit hit one out of the park, Cider. That guy's a stud, and he's going to be a stud for a long time. But, again, Iserman last couple of years, goes for the veterans. And now Detroit's starting to go. Now, I think the jury is still out on some of Detroit's prospects. I think there's a couple guys here that could still hit pretty good ceilings. 
But it's similar in the sense that Iserman said, I can't wait. I, I can't keep giving these guys chances yet. Maybe eventually they will be cornerstones for us. But he's saying he couldn't wait. And he went out and he seems to be finding the right guys. I think we're leaving one person out of this. Who's that? Derek Lalone. Are you saying that because he was our broadcast teammate last year? <laughs> he was first of all, he was excellent last yeah, season. Yeah, he was he on, was in really the playoffs good. at Hockey really Night good. in Canada. He was tremendous. No, but I just look I look at the composition of, of this team and further to your point about, you know, for two off seasons now, Steve Eiserman has went out and got a whole bunch of players and pulled a whole bunch of new players together and put them on the same team. And I don't think anybody looked at this blue line in the offseason and said, you know what, that's going to be a team that really defends well. That's going to be a team where we're going to make points about their blue line, um, you know, six or seven games into the season here. But here they are. Uh, Whenever you bring a whole new, essentially a whole new team together, you know, twice in two years, I think it makes it really difficult for the coach um, to have any success. I think it's a real challenge, and I think he's done a great job. I really do. And I know he was our broadcast colleague last year, um, but that's irrelevant for this conversation. He's just flat out done a great job with this team. Everything is clicking. I know you have to have things fall into your into your lap. Like the Debrinket situation fell in perfectly with Detroit and fits perfectly mm-hmm. with the Detroit Red Wings. And Larkin is Larkin. You're getting better performances from everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, Shane Gossis Bear looks excellent. A veteran. Out there. He looks really, really, really good. Yeah, really good. Elliot, you know? And that, again, I, I can't stress it enough. That blue line defense. Like, do you have a thought on Derek Lalone through all of this here? Because we're talking about what Eisman did by putting players on this roster and what the Brinkett's doing and what the Comfort Line's doing. Uh, we're kind of leaving out the coach here. He's pretty important last time I checked. You know, the thing, well, of course the coaching is important. I, the one thing I really noticed working with Derek last year is that he's confident. He took no shortcuts. And one of the things I'll say about Lalonde is he would come in on nights where he wasn't working. He just wanted to see how we did things. You know, how's the interaction goes? How's the meeting go? So he just wanted to be around on nights where he wasn't in just to see how we worked together. Some of the people who come in, they, for people who maybe aren't familiar with this, you know, sometimes when Kevin's up there or Jennifer or Kelly's up there talking about something, or even I'm up there talking about something, it's not necessarily our idea. A producer can suggest it. Sometimes we'll suggest it. Sometimes the producer will suggest it. But we're not there with the editor when they put all the viz together. For example, on Saturday night when I did that thing with uh, Connor Bedard or I did something uh, this week with Tampa and Toronto meeting for the first time since the playoffs, I'll see that what it looks like for the first time about an hour and a half to two hours before the show and we do our rehearsal. Now, I know what the content is and I'm responsible for coming up with what I'm going to say, but the editing and the pictures are done in advance. Derek would go up and he would sit with that editor and watch the editor put it together. Like that is above and beyond than a lot of what we do. So on some level, I'm saying... Mm -hmm. 
he was much more prepared than we were. He puts our preparation to shame. But on another <laughs> level, I think that just showed his curiosity and his desire. I understand why he's a good coach seeing him do that because he wanted to understand how everything worked, even stuff he didn't really need to know. And he wanted to have a handle on how everything was put together. And he always came with ideas and he was very confident in his ideas. Very confident in his ideas. I think if you're going to be a leader of people, whether children, adults, men, women, anyone, you have to be confident in front of a room. And he is that guy. Everything I saw working with him last year made me understand why he has a chance to be a great coach because he knows how to command a room. He's confident in himself and he does the preparation. And so I'm glad you mentioned it because I saw a lot of it last year when we worked together. Start the engraving on the jackass. <laughs> there's there's going to be a lot of contenders yeah. this year. There's going to be a lot of... Now, I, I wanted to mention yeah. to you a couple things that you talked about in the last pod. Number one, when we're talking okay. about the draft, you had mm -hmm. mentioned, you know, why don't we create some more time between free agency and the draft, which is one of the issues here. June 28th and 29th last year, July 1st free agency, June 28th and 29th this year this season and July 1st free agency. Really what I'm trying to figure out, it's a Sisyphusian task, roll it up one side, watch it roll down the other, is just try to get the Stanley Cup final out of June. But yes, I'm trying to find some more breathing room between some events here. Well, one of the things that I was told was that it used to be that the season would begin the first week of October right before Canadian Thanksgiving. This year, it was second week of October right after Canadian Thanksgiving. And now that ESPN is a TV partner, they have basically wall-to-wall -wall baseball in the first week of October, the playoffs. So don't, it's mm. not getting moved up. Once again, TV is responsible for everything terrible. At least this time, it's not Sportsnet. It's somebody else. <laughs> and so that's the reason the season's not getting moved up. And, gotcha. and I'll tell you something else, Jeff. You and I talked about increased playoffs and would that really help situations, and especially if there's expansion. You know, someone made a really interesting point to me that I didn't even think about until they made it to me on Saturday. And that is that if you have a buy, we, we talk about buys and a quick buy while teams yep. play like a short series to see who makes the final eight. And they brought up this year's Major League Baseball playoffs. In baseball, six teams from each league make the playoffs and the top two get a buy. Well, if you take a look at the top two in the American League, Baltimore and Texas, and the top two in the National League were Atlanta and Los Angeles. The Orioles, the Braves, and the Dodgers all lost in their opening round of the playoffs. The only team that uh, played in the first round, uh, didn't play in the first round and won were the Rangers. And I have to say that did not go unnoticed. And there's a lot of talk about what that means and were the teams that were playing given some extra momentum and all these think pieces are out about this. And there were some, I went back and read them. But I was told that what happened in the baseball playoffs might even make it more difficult to get expanded playoffs in the NHL because now there's the theory that mm. the teams that play, they keep the momentum while the teams that get a break 
lose their momentum. Discuss amongst yourselves. Argue whether or not there's any factual evidence to that. But that is kind of the thinking. Never mind kind of. That is definitely the thinking right yeah. now, especially, I'm told, to the person who matters the most. I uh, I got a call about all of this on Friday, right before I was uh, starting the radio show um, from someone about the idea of the expanded playoffs. And it was a pretty short conversation, well, mainly because I had to go on the air, but essentially this person's message was, and I'm paraphrasing here, are you eating space cake? What did do you, you think? Did you we say yes? Half the league making the playoffs. <laughs> was your answer yes? I said, yeah, you you know, this, this person's known me for a number of years. I'm like, how long have you known me? Of course I am. You know this. I said, the only point that I was trying to make is, you know, back when it was a 21 team universe, 16 made it. Now it's 32. And he said something along the lines of, yeah, it was too much then. We're not going back to that. Um, I do want to read something to you okay. about this. I, I got a really th- thoughtful text the other day about it. And there's some really good points here. Um, and by the way, just to, to reiterate or go over one of your points from Saturday as well, uh, teams need to respond to the NHL when? It's Tuesday, end of business. And I believe some teams have already voted. Okay. Um, I got a note from someone here, and this is a really thoughtful one. By the way, Jeff, if you know me, if you knew I had a vote, when did you think I would vote? What time do you think I would send my ballot in? When was it? When is it due? 5 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday. (laughs) 4.59.30. Okay, I just wanted to make sure you knew me well. Or maybe 501 and then you'd complain about it. No. There's something wrong with your watch. If, if I'm late, it's my fault. It's nobody <laughs> else's fault. I do not duck blame. Um, okay. So this is from, uh, I told this person I wouldn't use her name. It is a, I'd just say this is a hockey person. Um, this comes to me by text on Friday. It's the only NHL event that every stakeholder has either an emotional or financial interest or both. From the NHL owners, NHLPA, media rights holders, general media, agents, corporate sponsors, fans, players, and families will be all negatively affected. The economic impacts will be felt in the media exposure of the number of stories being published. As humans, we are emotionally connected through stories and face-to-face human experiences. In the short term, the NHL teams may save some money But long-term, I do not think the NHL can afford to not have the NHL draft as a spectacle in a crowded USA entertainment landscape. Hmm. When you add up all the people that lose, if you don't do this, like someone from every single, like that's the one thing that really, when you put it all together, the NHL itself, the owners, the PA, rights holders, general media, agents, corporate sponsors, fans, players, families, all negatively affected if you go the decentralization route. I think I've made it very clear that I generally don't like this idea. One thing you always have to remember is that not everybody is a monolith. I have spoken to some agents who really hate this idea of decentralizing it, but I have spoken to others who don't have as much of a problem with it. The people I do think really lose are the media. Not that anybody cares about us, but the media I do think loses. The rights holders I do think lose. Um, The access to people is much worse. Young people in the sport, 
I think, lose. And I'm talking about young people who work for teams or want to work for teams. I think you lose that networking ability. I think it's possible some team uh, executives could lose or staff members could lose, especially if the teams decide not to invite everybody to their own personal offices, their own personal situation rooms. You know, we'll see. Um, again, if you make something special out of it, the NHL con that we were talking about, I don't necessarily think the fans have to lose. I was surprised that, that some of the people who said to me that they were going to, they aren't as upset about the change. I have to say though, again, I've said this many times, and I'll say it again. I don't like it. From a selfish point of view, and I am nothing if not selfish, <laughs> then it is not good. And I, I now, someone said to me they heard that it makes it easier to go to the sphere this year if there's less people. But I had a couple of people say to me, don't say that because if it is decided to decentralize the draft, then what can happen? is there be one last big party at the sphere. Prince, party like it's 1999. <laughs> party like it's on sale for 1999. Let's go. Um, okay, more on this uh, this week as we'll find out while well, the teams will will vote on um, by, uh, by Tuesday. Uh, we'll hit pause on that one. When we come back, I want to talk about a couple of teams here that we saw play against each other this weekend. The Arizona Coyotes and the Anaheim Ducks. And as I found out, and maybe you found out as well over the past few days on Hockey Twitter, maybe in your DMs, certainly in your timeline, certainly happened to mine, um, Anaheim Ducks fans, pay close attention to what you're saying or not saying about their team. That's next on 32 Thoughts. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. Still plenty to get to here, and we're going to mention a number of firsts, and we're going to start by talking about Leo Carlson and the Anaheim Ducks. I'm not sure about you, Elliot, but Friday after the podcast came out, Ducks fans were foul. Sorry, I couldn't resist. That's the, so bad. Thank you. I couldn't resist So, so wait a sec. So we're only talking about <laughs> Anaheim in this segment because no. you are intimidated by the Anaheim fan base? I got bullied, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to talk about, uh, actually, I want to talk about Ross Johnson, and I also want to talk about Radko Gudis, but we'll get there in a couple of seconds. Just a quick thought on, on Leo Carlson. Um, you know, this has been, you know, this has been quite a time for the uh, Calder race, been quite a time for the top three players in last year's NHL draft in Nashville. Do you have a thought on Leo Carlson getting his first? This kid's going to be a heck of a player. You see these guys more than I do uh, when they're prospects, but I really didn't know Carlson compared to some of the other players like Bedard, like Fantilli, uh, simply because I, I didn't see as many of their highlights. I saw more of their highlights over here. The word was that Carlson was the guy, when Anaheim ended up second overall, Carlson was the guy that they were going to take. 
and they had you know obviously they went through their their work they they did their research they talked to other players i heard anaheim's interview with fantilli was really something actually but he wanted verbeek i mean he wanted carlson all the way and you can see it i'll tell you one thing i i really liked about carlson is i didn't realize it but he has a bit of a stutter and you could see him doing his interview after he scored the goal and i just have great admiration i used to have a bit of a stutter i still kind of do and I know how difficult it can be to feel comfortable talking when you're like that. And I just really enjoyed the effort he made because somewhere someone's going to see that and they're going to say, hey, he's talking, I can too. George Springer yeah. has talked about that a lot with the Blue Jays. He had one as well. But this mm-hmm. kid is a really a real talent. And I do find Verbeek's plan for him interesting uh, Eric Stevens in The Athletic wrote about it last week about how Verbeek is going to have him not play certain games. He played Saturday against Arizona and didn't play Sunday against Boston. And this is by design. Verbeek basically saying, I know what it's like to play in the NHL at 19 and I'm going to protect him a little bit. And the hope is that he'll be able to play more games at the end of the year or more consistently at the end of the year than he can now. But what a week for some of the young prospects uh, Potra mm-hmm. scores, Fantilli scores, Bedard scored yeah. in Chicago's home opener. Going to be a tough Calder vote this year, Jeff. Sure will. Now, one thing about that Anaheim-Arizona game. Now, I used to always circle LA-Anaheim games. Whenever there was an LA-Anaheim game, like that was it. I'm watching that game. You know, close the door. Don't bother me. This is going to be amazing. You know, the beautiful violence that is hockey. That's what those games were. Now, after we've seen, you know, the Arizona Coyotes rough up the Anaheim Ducks for a couple of seasons now, here comes the response. Ross Johnston claimed on waivers. First chance he gets, right at Liam O'Brien. And like, nope, we're doing this. I'm grabbing you. I'm holding on to you until you agree to drop your gloves. And we're doing this. Radko Gudis taking out Michael Carcone in the game as well. We all know how hard a hitter Radko Gudis is. Yep. And I understand that there was like there was some criticism of Pat Verbeek when he let go of Nicholas Delorier, that Delorier was there to fill a very specific role and could also play second unit penalty kill, et cetera, et cetera. And then once that security blanket was gone, we saw a lot of Anaheim Ducks players taken advantage of and bullied and pushed around and punched. Um, by a very aggressive Arizona Coyotes team. The presence of Johnston and the presence of Gudis levels the playing field now. And it's still a rivalry. I know there's are, are two teams that are, you know, not close to anywhere near the the top or middle for that matter of a winning cycle. But all of a sudden now, Arizona Anaheim games, Elliot, just got way more interesting. Red line Ross Johnston. That's what people in the Eastern Conference called him. You know why? Why? Because he always skated right on the red line in the warm-up. There used to be guys in the old Western League, Kelly Rudy would tell me, well, Boris Fistrick being one, who would skate over the red line and take shots at him. <laughs> well, they were notorious for that. <laughs> and sometimes... 
the new Westminster Bruins, Kelly told me, Kelly played for the Medicine Hat Tigers, would take the net off the moorings, skate them over to the red line, and stand beside the net and say to the Medicine Hat Tigers, what are you going to do about that? This is all during warm-up when there are no officials on the ice. To say it was the wild, wild west, Elliot, was an understatement. Okay, speaking of interesting, Elliot, um, your lovely cruise <laughs> with Elias Pettersson in Stockholm. Uh, this goes back to August. Uh, the video released uh, late last week by Sportsnet. You retweeted it. Um, take us behind the scenes on this one. Well, first of all, I have to give credit. I want to thank the people who run the cruise and the other people on the boat because the tour started a little bit late because of things we were getting set up and they were incredibly patient. And I wanted to say thank you uh, for that because we did slightly inconvenience people. Now, I know that being on the same cruise boat with especially me and also a little bit Pedersen might oh, have yeah. calmed down what a, a little bit of that disappointment. Oh, yes. Turning but on the charm. Oh. The, the, the people Lance were incredibly patient, here. yes, and, and I am hugely appreciative. <laughs> I'm going to write a little bit more. As you know, Jeff, and a lot of these things, when the and, and I thought it was really well put together uh, by Mark McDonald and the group that edited it, but it, it ran for four minutes and 10 seconds. And there's always things that are said that, that are, are good that you wish you could find more room for. So I'm going to put them in the notes when I write them this week. But I found Pedersen really interesting to listen to. And, you know, one of the things he talked about scoring his first goal, but he also talked about, and, and I'm going to write more about this, the energy of scoring in a building like Vancouver's. He talked about you realize what it can mean when you have success in a place that is as passionate and burns as hot as Vancouver does. And I thought that was very important. And the last thing we talked about in the piece in Stockholm was how much he wants to win. And I found it really interesting hearing him talk about how emotional he got watching Lionel Messi and Argentina win that mm -hmm. World Cup. And what that says to me is he wants to win. And there's, we've talked a lot about, you know, his future and his contract and stuff, but he wants to win in a place where it really matters to win. And that is what is Vancouver's best selling point is. I think there's always going to be some loyalty to the team that drafted you. I think there's always going to be some loyalty to the place where you started as a boy and began to grow into a man. But ultimately, you know, for example, I was watching in the post game today, uh, I was watching some highlights online from the Giants. They beat the Washington Commanders. And one of the Washington players was like seven years of this. I can't take it anymore. It's been seven years. And no matter how good you feel about the place that drafted you and developed you, ultimately you want to win there. And what I really feel is Vancouver's best asset here is that he knows if he wins there, it matters. Mm -hmm. You know, you saw it. Like those players that finally won the, the Stanley Cup in St. Louis, those players that finally oh won the Stanley Cup in uh, Washington, those players that finally won the Stanley Cup in Los Angeles, 
and those players had ended a 50-year drought in Chicago, how much they were beloved. They are gods in those cities because of what they did on the ice. And I think that is what Patterson sees. He knows that if he wins there, it's going to matter. And that as long as Vancouver is going in the right direction, that is the best pull they have to keep him there. Cause I think he realizes that that's what the impression I was left with after talking to him. No surprise that to kick off that cruise, you made life inconvenient for everybody. on <laughs> Elliot, <laughs> but no, seriously though, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful piece. I uh, encourage everybody to have a peek at it. Uh, time now, Elliot for the Montana's thought line, Montana's barbecue and bar Canada's home for barbecue. Try the ribs. 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca, 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca, phone number 1-833-311-3232. Uh, we got a pretty good voicemail coming up here. 1-833-311-3232. This from Nate. Good morning, Jeff, Elliot, and New Amel. <laughs> We've had a lot of penalty shots through the first week of the regular season, and it got me thinking. In the NHL video game, you can skate backwards, but we don't see that in shootouts nor penalty shots. I understand movement towards the goal through the entire process is a must, but is backwards skating towards the goal against the rules for penalty shots and shootouts? As always, nice job, Jeff. Great job, New Amel, and great to hear you in Nashville, Elliot. That from Nate. Skating backwards on a penalty shot. You're still, essentially what he's saying is, do you have to push the puck or can you pull it? It's an interesting one. I would say they wouldn't allow it to happen, but the rules are much more gray than I think we realize because I want to say it was Linus Olmark. Someone will tell me if I'm incorrect on this, but he had a move where he spun around and the opposing teams would argue that technically that shouldn't be allowed because the puck isn't moving forward. And I think Patrick Kane copied it after a while. And the, the league said, we're allowing it. Now, I don't think they would allow a guy to skate down backwards. I think they would. You know what? You're right. I, they could. Who knows anymore? I think they but would. Maybe they would. But I could see that one. See, the spin around was discussed. Yeah. And they allowed it. The Kuznetsov thing is allowed. I think the time someone skates in backwards, yeah. <laughs> that might wake people up out of their slumber. I don't know. You're still moving the puck forward, though, but you're just pulling the puck as opposed to pushing it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, Jeff. I just, I, I can see someone saying we're not doing that. There was, I want to say it was like Timo Hardikainen. There was someone in the Finnish league that did this. Someone's going to remind me. Like, well, Marty San Luis turned around backwards. Yes, he did. He, he yes, was he a guy, did. But he didn't do it the whole way. I think they'd allow it. I think it's fine. You're still moving the puck forward. So you're turned backwards. It looks different. So what? Like we're talking out of our butts on this one. We don't know. But <laughs> someday someone's going to try it. I'm surprised it hasn't happened already. Do it. Shootout specialists. Do it. Okay. Colin from West Kelowna. This is interesting. And there's an obvious answer. 
and I blame Mike Keenan. Uh, I have always wondered why goalies get basically no time to stretch or warm up when a goalie change happens, especially when a goalie is injured. This seems like a risk to injure your backup too. They don't even go to commercial. I know baseball has a much different mentality, but pitchers not only get to warm up for a while in the bullpen, but get a commercial break to throw some pitches from the mound. You know this one, Elliot. Why don't they allow goaltenders to warm up? I, well, this is right up your alley. You should tell this story. Free timeout. <laughs> because so many coaches would just change goalies, get the warm-up. Yes. It's a free timeout. That's all it is. I mean, how many times did Mike Keenan change goaltenders? Like, all the time. Essentially, yep. it's why burn a timeout if you can just change your goalie instead and then next whistle, put the other guy back in. That's really what it comes down to here. You don't want as much as it may, you know, you're sending a goalie in cold. I understand that. But really what it does is just give a team a, a free time. Now, the one thing I have wondered is, the one thing I have wondered is before you do that, yeah. is if there's an obvious injury. Like for example, in a Major League Baseball, if a pitcher leaves due to injury, the, the guy who comes in gets a longer warm-up, basically is allowed to warm up as long as they want. They didn't get pitches in the bullpen because they weren't planning on coming in. Thanks, Tips. But <laughs> I'm just making it clear. <laughs> But I've wondered if a goalie is injured and clearly injured, should the goalie get a warm-up? A quick one. If it's pulled because just the other guy wasn't very good, yeah. or the coach is throwing a temper tantrum, no warm-up. Here's a, a question for coaches in the audience. If you have a situation where a goalie's coming in cold, maybe it's like, late in the second period and all he's done is sat there or maybe he's just sat there with his baseball hat from a strategic point of view should the opposing team fire as many shots on the goalie as possible as quick as they can because he's coming in cold or do you wait for the perfect shot so you don't let him get warmed up to the puck the only thing i can say to that is i remember there was a game carry price came back after an injury and PJ Stock got angry at the other team for like floating some weak ones in on him because they said they were warming him up. Yep. Yep. I agree. I agree. I would be team don't fire a lot of pucks on him right away. I would be team wait for the perfect shot. But again, I have coached exactly zero games of hockey. <laughs> So don't listen to me. All right, one more, and it's a voicemail. This is Steve. Hey, boys. Steve in upstate New York, although I am a Detroiter with a winged wheel tattooed on my heart. Oh. I was just curious uh, what you guys would end up putting on your goalie helmets if you were uh, professional oh. goalies and you had free range to paint it up however you want. Thanks, as always, for the pod. Love it. And... uh as always, try the ribs. <laughs> <laughs> become our slogan on the show. Um, you Seriously, I've had Elliot. a few people tweet that at me. <laughs> That's good. Uh, do you have one? I, I love this question. I absolutely love this question. Well, love it. You, you go first because I know okay. that you would you would have been preparing this for seven hours. So you go first. <laughs> Thought a lot about this all day long. Honestly, my, my honest first thought, and I've thought about this one a lot. My honest first thought is I would want to paint Andy Brown's face on the mask. 
And for those that may not know who oh Andy Brown goodness. was, he was the last goaltender to go maskless in both the NHL and the WHA. I might be tempted as a tribute to go with something with Andy Brown, maybe his face, just so his lovely face could be back into the NHL. Elliot, what do you, th- I've got a couple more in my hip pocket, but what do you think of that one? It's so you because it's creative, but it's supremely weird. <laughs> it's a little bit goofy. Um, my uh, One of my other thoughts on it is a tribute to the pioneers of the mask in the first place. Now, the first documented example of someone wearing a mask, a, a goalie mask in, uh, in hockey was at Queen's University in 1927 on the women's team, Elizabeth Graham, who wore a fencing mask because she had just had dental surgery and didn't want to get her teeth mashed up. So that was the that was the first that. one. Sure, um, Clint Benedict yep. wore a mask with the Montreal Maroons in 1930. But before that, a lot of historians now, like Steve Smith um, from the Society for International Hockey Research, has actually traced it back to 1929. And George Hainsworth, after he got a broken nose from Aurel Joliat, he wore like this rubber concoction over his, like rubber and plaster over his face, which may be considered the first goalie mask ever um, in the NHL. Elizabeth Graham still has both of them beat uh, as well. But I might do a tribute to the early pioneers of the mask, just one of Elizabeth Graham, one of George Hainsworth, and one of Clint Benedict of the Montreal Maroons. The other one, because I've thought a lot about this today, Elliot. I can tell. Dom, you've got to stop sending Jeff the questions so early. Because because this part of the pod takes longer than the rest of the pod. Okay, I got one more. I got one more. I would want a picture of the cover of one of my favorite hockey books of all time. And it's a goalie. It's They Call Me Gump by Gump Worsley. It's a beautiful painting of Gump from behind. I'd want that on the mask. Uh, one, as a tribute to Gump Worsley, who I loved. Uh, and two, as a way to encourage people to read hockey books. What do you think about that, Elliot? Again, I got no problem with any of this. A mask is your canvas, so you should paint it as you feel right. So uh, even though your answer took 17 minutes, I, I think it's all fantastic because <laughs> it's, it's like I said, it's wonderfully weird. It's <laughs> Jeff Merrick. What would you do? Well, there would be some tribute to my grandparents on there. That would be for sure. My uh, my maternal grandparents. I would find some way to to honor them. Can um, I can I raise I, this? Can I make a suggestion? I know this is your this is your part of it. Can I make one suggestion sure, as a tribute? Sure. Yeah. On the back plate, can you write "You plan God laughs"? Yeah, you know what? That's a good one. You plan God laughs. <laughs> that that might actually be the tribute. Right on the back plate, I would have a purple mustang stomping on a red griffin that would definitely That's be gross. on there never happened like like, like maybe maybe like a purple mustang uh, like barbecuing griffin meat like that that could be I'm a very good wearing a university guelph hockey hoodie right now as we as we speak elliot yeah, it's probably from some remainder bin somewhere. Uh, so I, I would probably put something for, you know, the Western because those years really uh, changed my life. I, you know what? I, I probably there would be some nod to kind of my career progression too. Uh, fan 590 to the score. Well, headline sports first, the mm-hmm. score. 
to CBC, Hockey Night in Canada, and Sportsnet. I would probably put something like that on there. But definitely something to my grandparents. Definitely something for Western. And probably something there that nobody would know anything about. Like it's one of those things that if someone ever guessed it, I would look at them and say, I really want to know how you figured that out. Hmm. Like the, the, the ultimate Elliot Friedman Easter egg. Yes. And I wouldn't tell anybody what it is. If someone asked, I would say, sorry, you got to figure it out. Hoping that somebody would. Hmm. And so I could look at them and say, that was pretty amazing. That's awesome. Of all the ideas that I just threw out at you, whether it's Andy Brown's face whether it's Elizabeth Graham, George Hainsworth, and Clint Benedict, yep. or whether it's Gump Worsley, the cover of They Call Me Gump, which one do you think is the best out of those three? I would love to see if Andy Brown would come at you for copyright infringement. <laughs> that was my first thought. Oh, and get Andy Brown back in the league somehow. Um, that is a great voicemail. Love it. And that's the Montana Thoughtline. Montana's Barbecue and Bar, Canada's home for barbecue. We're back to talk about a Maple Leafs comeback and also Nick Robertson. Stick around. a smoky break for our Thoughtline partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. With meats prepared and smoked in-house, it's no wonder why they're Canada's home for barbecue. Check them out, and as Elliot always says... Try the ribs. Yes, their ribs are smoked in-house every day until they fall off the bone. And don't forget, Montana's has all-you-can-eat ribs every Wednesday. Head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar and take the all-you-can-eat rib challenge every Wednesday. Smoking good barbecue only at Montana's. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. Elliot, finish up the podcast today talking about uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Both, well, not just the Maple Leafs, but the Marlies as well. More on that in a couple of moments. Um, Saturday night, Ilya Samsonov pulled against Tampa, surrenders three goals on four shots, entered Joseph Wall. And it's cue the comeback time. Uh, Domi denies a couple of times. It's a four to three comeback. You were there working it for Hockey Night in Canada. Your thoughts on what we saw Saturday. One of the good things about the league early in this year has been the ability for teams to come back. It wasn't too long ago, probably about 20 years ago, that this was a league where there were no comebacks. The yeah. last Stanley Cup final before the lockout, the Calgary-Tampa one, there were no lead changes that entire series, and that's not good. But we talked about Edmonton not being able to hold leads, and again in the first period of that game the other night, when Kucherov was teeing off on Samsonov, I don't think anybody thought that Toronto was going to come back and win that game. This is a big opportunity for Joseph Wall. Uh, you know, as you know, I've said that I wouldn't be surprised if he's the number one guy by the end of the year. And this is his first time this season he's going to have a chance to take a run with the job because he's going to play their, their next game Tuesday in Washington. So Samsonov gets knocked out, three shots, uh, three goals and four shots. And I didn't think Toronto really got going until the third period. But when they did, it kind of reminded me at times – of the playoffs last year, when when they really got going, Tampa couldn't keep up with them. 
You know, the whole Dubis era, I always wonder when a general manager leaves a team or a general manager goes somewhere else or gets fired, what does the team look like two years, three years, five years after that GM leaves? Because Mm -hmm. that to me is the true test of what a manager has done with a team is what it looks like a couple years after he's gone. And Nye's looks like he might be the best draft pick of the Dubas era. Second rounder who was a yeah. first round talent who had a really bad year. Like, I'm not convinced, Jeff, he shouldn't be on the first line. Hmm. I, I think he's the guy that probably should be playing with Marner and Matthews, although they may not want to do it. And the other guy is Wool simply because of the contract they've got him signed to. They signed him uh, two years ago. He's in the second year of a three-year deal at $765,000. And if he's your number one at some point this year, and then the job is definitely his to grab for next year, you know, that's, that's a great contract. So, I mean, Nyes was a difference maker, and I think the real big thing was Domi. You know, he looked completely out of sorts in the first few games, and he set up Nyes' two goals. I mean, I can understand why they would want to keep Nyes and Domi together for after that game because it really helped Domi. But the more I watch Nyes, the more I think he should be on the first line with Matthews and Marner. Hmm. Totally skilled player. Now, this brings me to uh, another question for you. And it's interesting that you bring up Matthew Nyes and, and talk about his progression here. So uh, Sunday afternoon, I went down to Coca-Cola Coliseum uh, to see the Toronto Marlies face off against the Charlotte Checkers. You know my love for the American Hockey League. I know you love the American Hockey League too. Yeah, yeah. And it's always it's always interesting early in the season too, right? Guys have just gone down. Uh, teams are just starting to gel with one another, get used to the schedule. Uh, sometimes Sundays aren't the best day to see an AHL game because it's the end of the weekend, and sometimes the games can be a little bit sloppy because guys are tired. Um, but I love it. Um, Marley's doubled up the the checkers four to two. Uh, Martin Jones played for the Marlies. Mac Guzda, old Barry Colts, uh, in net for the uh, for the Charlotte Checkers. Um, there are some players that you can see. I mean, you've seen it before, like younger players that are trying to get up to the NHL, and you can tell like there are glimpses. Um, like uh, Mackie Samuskevich was in the lineup for Charlotte, and there are moments where you're like, okay, he's clearly a better skater than almost everybody out here. Or you can tell like, okay, this guy's close, and you can understand why he's you know right there and, and ready to make the Florida Panthers. Um, you can look at players, you know, trans like Skylar Brindamore, Rod Brindamore's kid was was there, and boy, is he ever big, Elliot. It's the first thing you notice about about Skylar Brindamore, just how how big he is. Um, and you know, you, you wonder about, okay, so what's the transition from college hockey to, to pro hockey going to be Riley Bezo, uh, Andy Bezo's son who won a Memorial wow. Cup in St. John, Riley Bezo, right? Like you hear that name, right? The, we keep talking about like how old we are here. We covered all these guys and now we're covering I, I, I saw covering that guy play in the OHL with Niagara with Falls, Brad May and yeah, Keith Primo. The Thunder. Yeah, <laughs> when they knocked out London in the playoffs in my first year of university, nineteen ninety. He was traded for 
a washer and dryer. And then they ruled the trade. This is who he was playing Fort Wayne and he was traded for a washer and dryer to Michigan. They ruled the trade ineligible. So he had to go back to Fort Wayne, but he had already played a game with Michigan and then he ended up getting traded somewhere else. I can't recall, but that was a weird one. One, because he got traded for a washer and dryer, was able to play a game, and then they ruled the trade invalid. Anyway, Andy Bezo was one of the toughest guys like probably ever to play the game, Elliot. As Steve Ludzik well loved him. He loved he him. He did, eh? Yeah. Yeah, Steve Bezo Ludzik loved was him. tough, and he runs, a, he runs a, I think he runs like hockey academies uh, out east. Anyhow, um, but the one player that I want to get your thoughts on is Nick Robertson. So Nick Robertson scored the goal to make it three to two, proved to be the uh, eventual game winner with a shot that you can only describe if you saw it as an NHL shot. Like perfect place, gets the pass and like blistering speed. Like it's on his, it's on the blade of his stick for like such a fraction of a second. Like you look at it and bam, you're like that's an NHL shot. And you can tell like there are, are moments all throughout the game where, okay, Nick Robertson's quote unquote too good for the AHL. There was, you know, a couple of moments. Well, there was one where he you know, really schooled Samuskevich um behind the net because, you know, Peter Burrow better than Michigan. There you go. But like you can tell, like right away, like this guy deserves to be in the NHL. But guys like that have such a hard time finding a spot. Hearing you talk about Matthew Nyes and watching Nick Robertson in the afternoon, I, I just wonder, like, what are your thoughts on where Nick Robertson fits in this equation for the Maple Leafs. What have you heard? What do you know? They told him, from what I understand, look, we've only got 12 forwards, and stuff happens. Guys get hurt. Guys struggle. Look, they called up Holmberg the other day. Yep. And so there are going to be changes. And they told him, you have to give us a reason. There's going to be opportunity down there for you to come up. You just have to give us a reason for you to do it. And he started really well. He had five points in his first two games. And after this weekend, he's got six points in four games. So all he can do is prepare. But you know what's going on here, Jeff. He played his first games for the Maple Leafs three and a half years ago in the bubble, in the playoffs. He scored a goal yeah. against Columbus. If you're in an organization for that long, and you haven't cracked the team, you get to a point where you say, it's time for me to try it somewhere else. And I could see Robertson getting there. I wouldn't be surprised if he felt that way when he was sent down, but mm. I just don't think Toronto was at the point where they were willing to do that at that time. And also, I think they recognize this is a talented player. There are a lot of teams I think he might get more of a runway than he does right now. I just think it comes down to when does his patience run out mm -hmm. if there isn't an opportunity, and what does that mean? You watched him on Sunday. He's Did so you good. see anything that so said good. he wasn't ready for a chance? No. This guy, he, I, again, like you've seen it before. Like I always... And he's been hurt too. You can't forget that. Yes. I always feel for those players... Um, that are caught in that too good for the American League and have a hard time finding a spot in the NHL position. Like when I used to, well, when I used to do 
color for the Marlies. And, you know, the, the great John Bartlett was was play-by-play voice of the Marlies. You know, the examples we would always point at were players like Kirby Law and Eric Westrom and these types of the Brett Sterlings of the world. Like there's, you know, the American Hockey League has always been littered with these types of players, the ones that were just like, okay, you're too good for this league, but where's your spot in the NHL? And again, you watch Nick Robertson, you're like, that's an NHL guy. What does he need to do? Is it remember what they used to call baseball players like that? They used to call them four A players because triple A and then the majors, yeah. and yeah. they would call the guys. There was a guy, and if you're an older person, you're going to remember this name, Brad Kaminsk. He was a guy that used to have ridiculous numbers mm-hmm. at triple A in the eighties, but he couldn't make it. And I think that was the guy they called the four A player. Well, whatever that is, Nick Robertson's right there. We'll see what uh, what happens. Uh, on that, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. Uh, on behalf of Elliot, on behalf of Dom, Merrick signing off. Uh, we're back Friday morning for another edition of Thirty Two Thoughts, the podcast. Uh, enjoy the week of hockey on the horizon, uh, and we look forward to Sunday and the Heritage Classic in Edmonton. Have a great week. Talk to you again Friday.